0: Uh, Let's uh, turn to Genesis 4. We're in the part of Genesis which I think may be often forgotten. We hear about Cain and Abel, and then we jump straight to the flood. Uh, But there's a little bit between that, a couple of genealogies, one of which we're going to hit today. Genealogies are the part where we often skim over because we don't really know these names or what's going on with them. So let's read. Uh, we're in verse uh, chapter four, verse 17 to 26. Then I'll pray and then we'll unpack this passage. Cain knew his wife and conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And Enoch was born, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehugiel, and Mehugiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore bore Tubal-Cain. He was a foreigner of all instruments of, he was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The name of Tubal-Cain, the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's." Then Lamech is 77 fold. And the Lord and uh, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these characters in the story, historical figures, Lord, and we impute ourselves into the picture of scripture, I see very much a likeness of Cain in myself, the pride of life that descends through his generations to Lamech, his his grandson, great-great-grandson, Lord, and we we see in ourselves this, this pride of life, this arrogance that, blinds us from your truth that hardens our heart towards you. But, Lord, we rejoice in Jesus, whose blood was shed for us. We rejoice in his sacrifice and the conquering victory of his resurrection in which we too have been made new. We have raised to life afresh a new creation, holy and pleasing to you, not through our merit but through Christ's work alone. Lord, as we come to these passages, this one, as we look at the depravity of man, spiral out of control, yet your purpose of having a people for yourself still upheld, Lord, would we trust in Christ all the more and not our works? Would it lead us to godly repentance? Would it lead us to a greater affection for you and a greater desire to magnify you in our life, Lord? Lord, I pray that none of these passages would condemn us, but only convict convict us, bring us out of guilt and shame, and bring us to the cross over and over again, that we may rest in your grace day after day, knowing that there is true and absolute forgiveness, as we will see, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My introduction was for a crowd of people who didn't really go to church. So let me uh, change that a little. We're in Genesis, as you know. It's a, a book of beginnings, and we've seen the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of sin, death. And now, in Genesis 4, we see the beginning of civilization. A city is built. Uh, mankind started... In the beginning of creation, in the presence of their creator. But now they dwell away from their creator. And Cain, it says, at the end of our passage last week, moved away from the Lord east of Eden. He's gone even further than Adam and Eve were away from God. And what we see as we start to unpack through Genesis 4 to 11 is this spiraling chaos of sin, that, lo- that lion-like figure that's crashing at the door of man's heart, looking to devour them. This is not something we can master, as we've seen in Cain. As God said, God's very word saying to Cain, you must rule over the sin that's in you. And then the very next phrase, the very next story is him murdering Abel. The point of the story is not that we would rule over our sin, but that we would realize we can't rule over our sin. We can't master it. There's a great comparison going on between mankind and God, as there was in the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 reveals to us a self-sufficient, self-existing, uncreated God, where mankind is the opposite, created, dependent, and finite. And now we see a very different contrasting God, who is good and holy, and man who is depraved, heart and mind. Unable to draw near to God unless he wills it. Yet God still has a purpose. We've looked at this over and over again, and we'll continue to look at it as we study the rest of Genesis, that God's purpose is that he will have a people for his own possession, a people that will dwell with him forever and ever. That was his purpose in Genesis 1. It's his purpose in Revelation 22, and it's his purpose all the way through the scriptures that he will claim for himself among the depraved a people for himself. And that's what we see here in this passage. As we look, we'll see God faithfully still protecting his people, faithfully still protecting his purpose, yet at the same time allowing sinfulness to flourish in some ways, to allow sinfulness to invent and create culture and to create good things, common grace come out of Cain's lineage, common grace to mankind's come out of his lineage, as we'll see. What we need to be thinking of as we look at Cain's lineage is maybe our own family tree. As we look at our history and where we are now, I think uh, about my own story and the swaddlings were a bunch of drunks and now three of us are pastors. God has changed the story of the swaddlings, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of God's grace to uh, the swaddling name, not that our name means anything. But when we look at our family tree, because that's what the Bible is all uh, full of, genealogies, Cain's family tree here is described, and next we see another family tree of Noah, we have to look at what good is our family tree away from God? What good can there ever be in a family lineage away from God? And what does all our work and inventions mount, amount to away from God? What does all our labor, all our creativity, all our designs, all our business structures, what does all that amount to away from God? All the labor of our hands, as Ecclesiastes often or goes all the way through work mostly, and the vanity of it away from God. And that's what we see as we jump into Cain's lineage. We see as civilization built, the creation of music, instruments, and arts. We see uh, farming developed, turning into a wider business with multiple different cattle that's roaming, uh, multiple different livestock that's roaming the area. We see this out of a sinful lineage. But what does it amount to if we aren't drawn near to God? Can that reform a culture? Can our good inventions and our skills and abilities reform a culture? Can it change the heart and mind of man? Well, of course, we will see that it doesn't. Let's unpack this passage as we turn to our first genealogy. In verse 17 to 19, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bought Enoch. And when he built, and when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So Enoch was born. Irad, Irad fathered Methugiel, and Methugiel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. We come to our first genealogy, and of course, as I said in the beginning, we love to skim over genealogies. I read uh, 1 Chronicles, I think it was, and it is just genealogies. And it can be quite challenging because we, one, don't know how to pronounce the names. That's my problem. And two, the names just are a mass of uh, mess almost. And we don't know where they're connected throughout the whole of Scripture unless we dive deep into the history of Israel and the history of man. But they are there for a reason. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to skip over them. Like you need a lot of time to understand why each genealogy is there. And to meditate and think through each of the individual names. But they are there for a reason. And normally it's to connect one story to another. We want to know why we've just suddenly jumped. Maybe 400 years. Maybe a thousand years. And when we get to Jesus in the New Testament. We've jumped 400 years. And we want a summary of all the Israelite history. So Luke gives us a genealogy from Adam. And Matthew gives us one from Abraham. So they're there to connect us to what has just happened and now we're going to jump seven generations and look at the sixth and the seventh generation in Lamech and Lamech's two sons and then we skip the rest there's nothing said about the other guys that's not important what we always need to come to when we're studying scripture is there are some things that are just a mystery to us there's God has revealed through his word what we need to know and we need to wrestle with it and we need to meditate on it and we need to study it But there are some things we should not get hung up on. And that's what did Methusiel do, if that's how you say his name. Methuselah. We don't need to worry about that. God hasn't revealed it to us. But he does have concern with this seventh generation of Cain's. Now, when we think of seven, we know that it's a number in the scripture of totality or fullness. Seven days in a week. That's the end of the week. It brings fullness Uh, We know that in Revelation, there is seven scrolls, seven bowls. All these are talking about a totality in Revelation of judgment. Uh, In here, we're seeing the totality of Cain's, Cain's lineage, Cain's line. This is it. After this, he stops, whether we believe that in a physical sense, that Cain's line was completely cut off, or in the sense of God's story, they were done. And they're left to do their own life away from God, and no more is said about their lineage or their line because they aren't near God and they're living in their depravity. As we look here, the to- the, the fullness of His line ends with Lamech's sons, but Lamech's sons actually achieve some pretty interesting things, which we'll get to. But first, we see Cain's first is Enoch. Now, this isn't the good Enoch. And it's, it's quite, in the very next uh, genealogy, we'll see another Enoch, and he's a better Enoch. But this Enoch is not the good Enoch. This is the son of Cain, and Cain builds a city and names it after his son. He names it after his son. This reveals to us something about Cain's heart. We must remember that in the Garden of Eden, man was to bear the image of God. To represent God. Who does Cain represent here? He represents himself through his son. What does Cain teach his son? That we are important. I love one of the Psalms, Psalms, Psalm 49. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling place to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names. That's a brutal psalm. To Cain, who names the city after his son Enoch. Their real home, or our modern term for this, their forever home. Have you heard that term? I'm looking to buy my forever home. Well, Psalm 49 tells us where your forever home is it's in the grave. That is your forever home. Even though they name lands after their own names. The arrogance of Cain is that he has moved further from God. He lives east of Eden and his success is about himself and his line. He knows that he's been cursed. There's some things that he just can't do. Farming is probably not going to be successful for him anymore. So he builds a city, names it after his son, and has now taught his son that what is important is yourself. This is ultimately the sin that runs deep into our own hearts, that, see that, that we now define good and evil by what benefits us. It is good that we leave a legacy. Have we heard that? Our culture is about legacies, and it's fed now into the Christian faith where preachers are talking about what sort of legacy are you going to leave? Hopefully one where no one remembers your name and remembers God. That is a Christian legacy to leave that God would be the name that comes to mind when they think of your name when you die. But not for Cain. Cain wants to be known as the first builder of a city and it's going to be named after his son Enoch. Proverbs reminds us that what we teach our children, they will stay in. Proverbs 22.6, Train up your children in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a great passage for what it means to disciple our children, but it can also go in reverse. How we are taught, how we are trained in our uh, childhood will feed into us as we grow up. Well, what do we see Cain train Enoch in? Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency. Let's establish a line that follows his name. This is about the pride of life and the pride of oneself. And, of course, this goes through Enoch's sons, and finally we reach Lamech, who extends the evilness, who extends the evilness of, of Cain to an even further extent when we get down to his song. But, Cain, but Lamech is mentioned, there's one thing described about him in verse 19 here, and it says, Lamech took two wives. We haven't seen this yet. But if we go back to Genesis 1, clearly God's good design for marriage was one man and one woman forever that they would become one flesh. Now Lamech has redesigned God's order and and said, well, I'm not going to listen to God's plan and purpose for marriage. I'm going to take two. And this is the pattern that follows on throughout the Jewish or the Israelite history where kings and leaders and powerful men take many, many wives, Solomon probably reaching the peak of 700 wives and 300 concubines. And God hates it, despises it. We see Lamech take the evilness that he's learned from his forefathers, from Cain, and advance it all the more. But there's some good in here. There's some good in that Lamech's children are the first inventors of things, apart from Cain who builds a city. But what's a city without some structure and uh, with some infrastructure and trade? What's a city without arts and culture? And it's attributed to uh, to Lamech's sons. Let's see uh, as as it continues in verse nineteen. The name of one of his wives, Lamech's wives, was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada was Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwelled in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of tubal was Naamah. God's grace to mankind is a common grace. He gave to all of mankind the opportunity to live in this world. He gave to all mankind a mind that could receive and understand. He gave to all of mankind senses that could taste and uh, smell and see and hear and enjoy. He gave all to all of mankind music and instruments. And here we see from a sinful lineage, from the murderer Cain, come good things for society, a civilization. And as we look at civilization, we start to use civilization to try and fix the problem. Now, can we really fix the problem of a broken heart? And I'm not talking about a love broken heart. I'm talking about a depraved, dark heart away from God, this source of all goodness. Can we fix that problem with a civilized culture? Can we fix that through music? Can we fix that through infrastructure? Can we fix that through businesses? Can we fix it through sociology is what we tend to try and lean towards. I think the reason we see, or as we unpack this story, the reason we see God bring out the lineage of Cain, the genealogy of Cain and reveal to us what Lamech's sons did was to show us that no matter how much we invent, no matter how much we create around us, no matter how much civilization we have, we will always be uncivilised because, because of the depravity of our heart. And that's revealed in the very next verses as uses these inventions for evil and for pride. The inventions we see here are farming of many different types. At first, we saw a shepherd of Abel. He was a shepherd. Now we have shepherds uh, who have multiple different animals going about the land as nomads living in tents. So we've got infrastructure. We've got a business. We've got uh, a growing, uh, growing business there. And we see Cain's brother. Uh, sorry, we see the other son, Tubal Cain. He makes instruments of bronze and iron and Jubal, Jubal is the inventor of the pipe and lyre. We have this image of arts being created. So early on in in human civilization was the invention of things that were used to bring joy and used as an opportunity to worship. Yet what do they worship? Were these used for the glory of God? If you read the back end of Psalms, Nearly all all the passage, all the chapters of Psalm 40, I think it is, maybe further, 40 to 45, are about worship. Glory to God. Praise him with the cymbals. Praise him with the pipes. Praise him with the stringed instruments. Yet here we see they were invented, or at least God gave inspiration and creativity to a sinful lineage in order to create music. What about his other brother, the wandering shepherd? Did he create this farming experience, this growing farming population that will move from good land to good land and sleep in their tents? Was it there for the glory of God or for their own desires, for their own satisfactions, for their own ego? God's goodness allows the murderer Cain to build a city. He allows. This line to continue and turn, create, uh, turn, the cre- turn from, uh, although he turns from the creation mandate, Lamech turns from the creation mandate and has two wives, he still gives him children, not just children, but children who will invent and create a good, uh, good things, good common graces for mankind. But can culture and arts and social social reform really fix the depravity of man's heart? Because without the knowledge of God, who can know what good really is? One writer said, culture used or abused offers no redemption, neither low culture nor pop culture nor high culture. Apart from God, there is no redemption. No combination of agricultural abundance, the arts and technology can save society. Yet we're still trying. We still try all the time as we think that if we just do something more for a society, do something more for a city, then everything will be fixed. We have social services throughout our, our city, we have organizations that are bound up. in. if we can just fix this place, if we can just fix any, another neighborhood, if we can just have enough for people to do, then everything will be better. We just need people to have medication. We just need people to go to the doctors. We just need people to have, uh, see a psychologist. We just need to use our in, industrial minds. We just need to use our intelligence to fix things. Yeah, we've been doing it for centuries or thousands of years. And still, nothing is fixed. Still, sin reigns. Here, another quote that says, uh, "The world and the things of the world are the only things that carnal, wicked pe- people set their hearts upon, and the most ingenious and industrious are and are the most ingenious and industrious about." So it was with his. Emonant race of cursed Cain. Here were a father of shepherds and a father of musicians, but not a father of the faithful. Here was one to teach in brass and iron, but not to teach the good knowledge of God. Here were devices how to be rich. here, here uh, and how to be mighty and how to be merry, but nothing of God, nor of fear or, or, nor of his fear and service among them. Present things fill the heads of most people. What we see is this mind that sets ourselves on worldly solutions. Education. If we just change our education system, we'll see kids grow up better. If we just have kids see, uh, have kids brought into a better home, we'll see them grow up better. Worldly, carnal people fix their minds on their ingenious and industrious designs, yet no one is teaching the knowledge of God. And whose responsibility is it to teach the knowledge of God? Those that know him. Those that know God are there to teach the knowledge of God. It wasn't Cain's descendants. It wasn't Lamech's sons. They taught about how to get rich. They taught about how to uh, invent music. But we do see God's purpose prevail in that he keeps a people for himself back with Adam and Eve through the line of Seth. It says at the end of this that they called in that time, they called upon the name of the Lord. They called upon the name of the Lord. God didn't leave the world without someone to teach people about faithfulness. He always has someone in this world to teach about faithfulness. There is never a time that this world, world will be, be without faithful people to the Lord. The world can run off with all their clever designs, but ultimately the only solution to the problem is God and the knowledge of God. The curse that runs in the midst of all people, the sin that runs into them, God is the only antidote. No one else can fix it. No amount of services, no amount of inventions, no amount of music or culture can fix it. And, of course, we see this as Lamech's sons design good things. In verse 23 and 24, Lamech uses them for evil and brags in the pride of life. And it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. If we're trying to imagine what's going on here, just think of like a drunk, masculine, angry man, probably just in his underwear with a sword strapped to his side, beating his chest and bragging in song. That's what we're seeing. This arrogant, powerful man who has made women his accessories brags at God and uses the very things that God graciously gave common grace to his sons, uses them to to blaspheme against the holy name of God. And we see if we break this song down, it says, he says to his two wives. So he's like yelling at them, hear my voice, listen to me. In Genesis 3.15, we see the curse on, man, uh, on woman and man is that they're going to be at odds all the days of their life. Man will, woman will want to have dominion over the man, but man will rule over her. We see that there's this conflict at play. And right away in this lineage, Lamech is there boasting about his two wives and putting them under his feet as a dictator, yelling, listen to me. Listen to me as I brag, listen to me as I tell you how good I am or what I have done. The very evidence that we see is the curse of God is, is coming true in the line of Cain, uh, the line of Cain. We see men that we see the relationship breakdown in that he has two wives. We see his abusive power as the tone of this song as he yells, and we see the spiral of sin as he treats them as second class. He's ruling them. The language he uses is ruling language. That's the first blaspheme against God. But the spiral continues. He brags about murdering someone. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. This arrogance A young man slapped him on the face or hit him. He was humiliated. His pride couldn't handle it. We see that in men all the time. It's why fights happen all the time among men. Their pride can't handle it. They can't walk away. So what does he do? He kills him. I'll get mine back. Doesn't even hit him. He kills him. And then sings a song about it and tells his wives about it. And I'm sure his children uh, have heard that he, they're use, he's using their music, their invention, their uh, new thing of culture for him to claim and brag about his sin. Doesn't matter how much civilization there is. This civilization is really uncivilized as we see this culture burn out of control as the depravity of, depravity of man takes hold in this family line. But Lamech's uh, arrogant song continues and his bragging turns to blaspheming as he brings up God's words to Cain. Remember, this is what God said to Cain. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77fold. This is blasphemous. He's saying to God, you think, you, you, you think what you said to Cain Oh, sorry, he's saying to God, let's go back to what God said to Cain. Cain was cursed by God for his murder of Abel. And then we see God graciously say that whoever kills Cain will receive sevenfold the curses that Cain received. Well, Lamech turned that around and he says, I'm going to give 77-fold vengeance on anyone who touches me. Anyone who harms him, he will give sevenfold, 77-fold vengeance. So one, he says God is pathetic for being gracious. God is pathetic for saying that he will be gracious to Cain. He's also a weak judge because he only gives sevenfold. I will give 77-fold. In this arrogant song that is common grace to man, the gift of music, he uses it to say, God, you are weak. You are weak. God is merciful and gracious and Lamech spits all over those characteristics of God. What we see is that sin is not ultimately murder or abuse or lying or stealing. It's not just our actions. It's idolatry of the heart. It's worship of anything that isn't God. That's where all sin flows from. The question we must all ask is, what do we worship? And to find out, just look at your actions. Your actions will reveal what you worship. Your actions each day reveal whether your heart is for God or away from God. And here in Lamech's actions, he uses the common grace of God, music, to say, I worship myself. I worship myself and I brag in myself. Before we move on, we must remember the contrast as well that's been made here. Because Jesus uses the phrase 77-fold. Yet he uses it in a different way. Jesus also uses the phrase, turn the other cheek. That we, as those who follow Jesus or he, Jesus himself, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who took on human flesh, faced more than a slap on the face. He got whipped. He got beaten. He got spat on. And it says he did not revile back. He did not take vengeance. They're there mocking him while he hangs on the cross. And what does Jesus say? Forgive them. And he teaches it as well. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter comes and says, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother who sins against me? And Jesus said, and Peter said, as many as seven times. Jesus said, no, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Remember the number being totality, seven being totality, 77 times being an infinite amount. It's interesting, we see Lamech bragging about him taking vengeance 77 times and Jesus saying, I'll forgive 77 times. I'll forgive infinity amounts of times. And he does it by turning the other cheek as he goes to the cross, by facing suffering that he could have stopped, by being inflicted, by weak men, Lamech mocks God's grace, and Jesus upholds it. What Jesus is asking of his disciples is what his father has done for us. How many times has God, the creator of your whole being, forgiven you and shown you grace? Then you have no right to withhold forgiveness from another. Lamech is, just a, uh, Lamech is just a created being of God's and standing in his pride and his arrogance, maybe he was the most powerful man on earth at that time, yet still, still he had no reason to think that he could blaspheme the Lord. And, of course, we see Jesus in a better light as the one who forgives 77 times. But the story doesn't end there, and it deliberately doesn't end with the song of Lamech. It moves on, and we leave Cain behind, and his lineage, it is complete in the sense of the Bible, and we move back to Adam and Eve, the first parents. And in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The story of sin is spiraling out of control in a chaos in Cain's line, but God's clear purpose is now going to be upheld. God will, God's plan will not be thwarted, as it says in, Saint, in the Psalms. God's purpose to have a people for himself, a people that will worship him, a people that will dwell with him face to face, will come to path. And he has never, ever had a time in history where there is not a people that are reserved for him. Can you believe that? In the darkest places, in the most horrible cities, with the most sinfulness going around in, in this world, there is always a people who know God and worship him. There is never a time in history where God will allow a wayward people that have no faithfulness whatsoever. I've been studying Luther as this year at Men's, we will look at Martin Luther, the great reformer. And last year we looked at Augustine. Augustine lived in the 400s and Luther lived in the 1500s. And at first I'm like, man, it's bleak. Those thousand years or so are bleak for the gospel. The Roman Catholic Church has tainted it. They've added things to the gospel. There's no longer salvation by grace alone. It's salvation through what you can pay and what you can do. And I was like, is Luther the only one? But sure enough, God had faithful men in that period of time who preached the gospel and died for it. Faithful men and women. If we think of Elijah the prophet, when all of Israel turned to cult worship, and Elijah is there and he says, uh, he says to God, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken my covenant, forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and kill your, uh, sorry, they've thrown down your altars and are killing your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And God sends forth wind before him. He sends forth a storm and it says that God wasn't in them. And then a whisper comes to Elijah and it says God was there in a whisper. And in verse 18, it says, yet I have left, God speaking to Elijah, I have left 7,000 in Israel, all, the knee, all their knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Even when Elijah, the prophet, the guy who would speak the word of God, thought he was the only one left, God said, I have kept 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. In a time of chaos where we think that civilization is the only means for correcting sin in our lives, in a time of Lamech where we are bragging and using the common grace of God for our pride of life, God has still kept a people for himself, and we see it not through the line of Cain but through the line of Adam and Eve in Seth. He keeps a people who call on the name of the Lord. It's almost that he creates a people that call on the name of the Lord. After seven generations of Cain, he is done with, yet God in his faithfulness and his promise to create a people for himself creates Seth through Adam and Eve and then Enosh, and in that time they called on the name of the Lord. Cain's firstborns and successors pioneered cities and civilized arts, but Seth's firstborn and successors pioneered worship. God keeps his promise. There is always those who will call on the name of the Lord. There will be those who worship him. Seth's descendants point us to the day of Christ. He points us to the day when the faithful will live by faith in Jesus alone. And it reminds us of the word of Jesus words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The absolute exclusivity of knowing God is that it's only through Jesus and no other way. How did Enosh know to call on the name of the Lord? Because of the promised offspring that would crush Satan, crush Satan's head. How did Noah know to call on the name of the Lord? Because of the promise offspring that would bruise Satan's head. How did Abraham know? Because of the promised offspring. Jesus is the only means of knowing God. No other way. We see very clearly from this passage that God's purpose will not be thrown out. God's purpose purpose will not be derailed. Yet God will use sinful men and women, he'll use the world as it is to produce good, to bring about good things, to bring about common grace to us. So not all services are bad. Not all things that are created are evil. They're just not going to fix the problem ultimately. We should use them and use them to point them to the name of the Lord, to point people to call on the name of the Lord. We should be the people who tell them that they need to know God and faithfully pursue God, and that is only through Jesus. As Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men in which we must be saved. There is no other name other than Jesus. The only hope is to call upon the name of the Lord. The only hope for culture is that they call upon the name of the Lord. The only hope for your soul is that you call upon the name of the Lord. The only hope for the church is that you call upon the name of the Lord. Enosh reminds us that he was the one who faithfully taught the people, not music, music or arts, not shepherding, farming or tent making, but to faithfully call on the name of the Lord, to faithfully worship where all goodness comes from. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we give you great praise that there has never been a time where you have not had people who would call upon you. Lord, all those years ago you were faithful in keeping people for yourself, giving them faith in your promises, the promises of the Son, who will have ultimate victory over sin, Satan, and death. And, Lord, they walked by faith back then, and we walk by faith today. And it is only... Through Christ, that we can know you. It's only through Christ that we can be reconciled to you. So, Father, let us be those who know you, faithfully teaching others to know you. Let us imitate Seth and his descendants now that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do so and not walk in the ways of Cain and his. Let us not brag in the pride of life like Lamech, but, Lord, worship in song and prayer and fellowship. Lord, let us use all good inventions to faithfully make the knowledge of you extend to the nations and let us throw out those that are evil. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.